Yeah, yeah I think Karen has kind of mapped out like um, probably the bulk of the next two sections that we want to talk about, which is like what 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 uh, putting insight aside, like what. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's a natural I, segment. I'm I, I, I think I think uh, I think Tolstoy would appreciate your foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> going back to him, so uh, so first there are the, the 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 data collection, right? What are you actually capturing? And then there's the however you want to call it the the activation and engagement with that with that data. Um, which includes insights, but also includes ownership, which is a big part of a big part of it. And I think because the people acting on the data are also the people, the people acting on the insights are the people who are going to be affected by the insights. Unlike very often, if I'm if I'm studying uh, soft drink consumption, um, that's a very different beast because the people acting on it, uh, the people. Um, who are going to act on the insights are not going to be nearly as affected. So with the with yeah. the the collection of the data, you know, obviously I'm going to stump for anthropology and an ethnographic approach. And the reason I'm going to do that is because anthropology is by its nature holistic. So it's going to combine things like interviews and observation and an understanding of space and a focus on communication and uh, mapping social roles and mapping, um, you know, life trajectories. I've referred to them like their career, their career paths, but really they're, they, they bear a very similar relationship to, to the way we think about life trajectories and you go through stages. I mean, we say things like late career and stuff like that. Um, mm. And we're, we're attuned to all these things and the, and the signs and symbolism that go on, go along with how the space is created, how people interact. Um, and by being holistic, getting back to that foreground background thing, um, culture is something hard to articulate. The definition of it is hard to articulate as demonstrated in minute one of this interview, but also like <laughs> what it really is that com comprises that culture is hard to articulate. If you went into an organization and ask what is your culture you're gonna get values that are that are you know uh that are everyone's uh maybe screen background and that are painted in the lobby but you're not going to get really mm -hmm. the experience dynamic nature of it um yeah, you're getting and the so, culture yeah right um and yeah. and what you what you what an ethnographic approach does is takes all of that information, looks at it holistically, and is able to tease out the things that are tacit and unarticulatable, um, and and foreground them and make them like make them uh, data that you can really look at. The second part is which is a fun part, I think, both for Karen and I to talk about, is that co-creative piece, is is the yeah. idea that you need to give um, your employees a team who's responsible for leading this initiative um, the the space to work. And, and space is, it might be physical, but it's also um, temporal. They it's need the time to do it. Yeah. It's It's psychological and it's political. Like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's all of those things. You need to give them that space. Mm -hmm. You need to give, um, a and remove the barriers, <laughs> remove the barriers and barriers are a whole other podcast. Uh, cause, the, <laughs> cause, cause those, those barriers are, can be access. Um, they can be, yep. um, 
dissuasive or coercive factors, which may not even be on purpose. But basically, you need to be able to tell the boss what's wrong. And you need to be able to like say it as bluntly as possible. You also need to be like one of the barriers is um, secrecy. Like you need to be as transparent as possible. So one of the things, like one of the things that Conifer does, is we will go. Let's say we're going to do research for a couple of weeks at an office to understand. We'll interview people. We'll observe. We'll just kind of hang out and figure out what's going on. Um, and we will start to do early analysis on some of the key themes, pain points, interactions, and then. We, we usually are given a room to work in, and then we will essentially uh, have an open house, and we will just have out our our half-formed ideas, which are usually on like big post-it notes that we just put up on the wall, and invite people to come in and critique us, which does two things. It helps to validate, or like if we're getting something totally wrong, um, which hopefully doesn't happen, we can get that feedback, but also, um, it's data in itself in how people react to having a mirror reflected to them. And then we just start to see like how people are re going to respond when you start to activate that work, um, which is where the co-creation comes in. And I think I'm going to just throw the ball over Karen, who is uh, more than happy to talk about the, the kinds of co-creative processes you can bring in to that work to make sure that folks have, um, they have ownership. They have a huge stake in this. Like people, People don't want to work in crappy workplaces. Uh, like, I, I don't know how to be more blunt than that. Um, there, there's your there's your quote for the episode. People don't want to work in crappy workplaces. Yep, yep. <laughs> Definitely need to clip that and put it in social media. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a winner there, uh, Evan. So, and I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and and what we're I think what what um and we talked about this before we started recording, but. Uh, even though these are the starting points we're talking about, um, it's also the engagement part from the very, very beginning, right? So when you're when you're asking yep. people for that critique, you're engaging them. How would you like to see this? What what where are the friction points? Um, where is this accurate or not accurate? And by by virtue of doing that, you are starting to co-create even in the research phase of the work. There is a co-creation stage, but. This is all about weaving the uh, experience and um, the co-creation together, right? So, and, and there's, I'm highly influenced by Appreciative Inquiry, which, which talks about um, using the whole systems, right? Using all the ingenuity that comes within the whole systems to be able to uh, inspire people to envision um, that shared future together, one that's based on what's inspirational, um, as well as what's based on the strengths, right? As opposed to we're really good at, you know, pointing out what's wrong, aren't we? We're, that's what we're trained to do. But we haven't been trained yep. on how to make it right, okay? And and so co-creation processes um, engage people and leverages um, their, like, their, their talents, right? So that's why the work I do not only builds capability, it uses capability and engages people throughout, so... Nice. Yeah, I think even speaking on our behalf at Incitrix, um, we recently moved our headquarters into a new space 
uh, with a focus on a hybrid environment. And all of these things are ringing true in both the good and the bad. But I do find it interesting that um, even from the get-go, Incitrix really took it upon themselves to make sure that both transparency and, and collaboration was a big part of even deciding if we wanted to move, let alone, you know, coming up with a really, um, you know, key workspace that was um, built for for everyone. Like we got everyone's input and, and thus the space came to be. But what I did appreciate for the first year in uh, 2020 was that uh, we essentially the facilities management team at Incitrix, which I mean, for lack of a better term, is just the folks that really kind of focused on hopefully, you know, supporting the culture to some degree, especially during the move. But um, we really focused on doing, um, you know, just even simple surveys every month just to check in with the employees, but then also building on them to some degree. So that whole, you know, you know, what would our office look like in a perfect world? So what we did end up finding, which I thought was quite interesting, is that, you know, the folks that maybe even two to three years ago that might have had their, you know, even their own opinion on flexible work or remote working or even being hybrid as a business, uh, were, were some of the first people to actually um, really uh, get behind hybrid working and then also completely shift how they do their own uh, work, which I thought was interesting. Um, I've always been an advocate for remote work. So <laughs> the pandemic kind of naturally fell into, you know, how I do things. But it was really interesting to see a lot of folks who maybe were in a little bit more of the traditional uh, mindset when it comes to, you know, a workplace culture. Because again, I think a lot of that has to do with, you even mentioned the whole, you know, going around the water cooler and, and maybe discussing about, you know, last night, Saturday's game, because you both cheer for the same team. Like a lot of that is lost. But I know for, for us, we're really looking at ways and how we can continue to to keep that going. So I think you guys really kind of made that my personal experience come to forefront. And now I'm thinking, yeah, like what I got a couple of ideas I'm going to take. So, take I, so I think it's important to ask why do people, I mean, uh, I, I think it, yeah. I think no matter what the context is, it's important to ask why um, in some ways, uh, anthropologists are like two-year-olds. They just want to know why, 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 why. Um, but I think in this case, there's a lot to be learned about why people are preferring one one mode or another. And this is not to say you have to give every, everybody everything they want. But I think, um, yes. I, I think Karen, I think you brought up before that like sometimes if you're just going to willy-nilly be like, this is what we need to do, you're going to get the reaction from folks which is like this makes no sense. This is this is a, a knee jerk reaction that that is like cobbled together and and it doesn't like it doesn't work for anybody, let alone me. Um, but I think if you understand why, um, and you implement something transparently and fairly, um, you're gonna you're gonna get a, a positive reception. Um, but also, it's yeah. It's been interesting in at Conifer is I'm also like one of the people responsible for hiring. So I've been bringing on people and, and naturally talking about like what their expectations were. And it's been interesting to see like who who is the most excited about remote work or in-person work and when and why. Because I think naturally you say like oh younger people they love their technology um those kids today they just want to be remote work and that's not really the case 
Um, <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who appreciate that, but I think that um, our our younger employees crave the social interaction. Um, they also recognize the benefits of sort of learning by osmosis and informally working next to someone. Then there's the like older, it's interesting, the, the, the older longer term employees are often um, much more um, sort of uh, extreme in their, in, in their stance. Like, yes, we have to get back to the office. It's the right way to do things. Or, you know, eh, we never need to be at the office again. And I think, you know, I personally have been torn, one, as an employee of a company, but two, as someone who is in leadership at that company. And as an employee, I love working remotely. Um, I, I, you know, I like the space I've built out, although it's giving me a horrible, like, chiaroscuro, like, contrast going on here. Uh, you kind of shifted. Yeah, I mean, like right. uh, I'm totally washed out um, in shadow. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a it's a half cloudy, half sunny day in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, so, like, I, but I also recognize as as the director of a company that um, there there's a real need, and there is there is professional development and cultural benefits to being there together. Like people do benefit from sharing space. They don't need to share that space all the time. Um, and uh, there's a lot of ways to share virtual spaces that are really powerful, but it needs to make sense for who you are. And you, there has to be a why of how you're doing it, um, which I think is the moral of the story, right? Like, don't, 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 don't go don't off do half-cocked. Yes. Excellent. Right, right. Don't uh, do it. Don't check the box. I hate that. Yeah. yeah. Do it meaningfully and have that why down for sure. Um, and speaking as a less extroverted person, I mean, people still need people. Um, and mm -hmm. yes. And and so that's that's what you're talking about, Evan. But from my perspective, the future of work is not hybrid or remote. The future of work is choice. All right. So it's, it's about making sure people have the opportunity to have the autonomy to do their jobs the best way they know how or that they can under the best working conditions so that you mm -hmm. get the best out of them. And that includes cultivating relationships and capabilities, making sure the learning is there, all that good stuff. And so it, it's just it's something that organizations um, should think about every day, but they don't. Right. And then then you, therein lies the problem. You see that the paying attention, which I think what we in the work that we do, that's that's what we're doing when we're trying to articulate the culture. We're paying attention. What is the real culture, right? So, um, so I have a question for Karen now, um, oh because sure. <laughs> well, so their choice and input are two related things. They both have to do with sort of like agency and ownership of of a decision. And I'm wondering, as you're working with your clients. Are they making that fine distinction? Do they understand that, like, they How they might just say, we're, we're, yeah, because you might just say, like, oh, we're empowering the workers, which is another, like. No, uh, no, and I mean, it's, that's an extreme side. Right, right. Right. No, I hear you. It's a balance. And that's why co-creation is so important. What you're doing is bringing the organization closer together so that you can weave the future together. And no, you're absolutely right, Evan. That distinction is not always there. And I think. Uh, and I'll say specifically, CEOs are learning it the hard way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, mm-hmm. and this question, I, and that's not unusual because honestly, I've asked this question of CEOs. Oh, you've gotten to the pinnacle of career. What do you still have to learn? And not all of them can answer that question, right? And so um, it's, it's really important for organizations to understand that it is the co-creation piece. When we talk about criteria, it's not just employee criteria. There's business criteria as well, right? <laughs> and what you're trying to do is select mm-hmm. the interventions or the strategies that are going to give you the best of both sets of criteria, right? And so um, you're right. It's not into, I'm not promoting uh, all of a sudden give the keys to you know everybody. There's lots of room for leadership in co-creation still, but it's got to be done in a way that has that 360 view or that understanding of the complexities. And we're far too simplistic when it comes to our interventions when it comes with people these days, right? We Again, we know the answers. The work, hard work's not being done. And so, you know, I say this to leaders all the time. What's the harm in talking with your people? Oh, we have the survey. What's wrong with asking them what they well, think? Yeah, I mean, this is... The, <laughs> They're scared of the answers, Perhaps. let's be honest. Um, <laughs> then they or, have or the burden the, of knowledge, right? And Absolutely. Or, 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 the, or they will wave away the answers. Uh, because, like, your, your question hubris. about, like, what do you – what, what, Exactly. Hubris and humility was what I immediately thought about when you said right. you asked the question, these questions of the, the CEOs. Because if you can't answer that, you are devoid of humility. And it's going to be the, – the harm of you talking to your employees is they are going to recognize that and they're either they're either um, going to not be honest in their interactions with you uh, <laughs> or, or you might respond negatively publicly, um, which is an even bigger that disaster. Right. But I think the aim mm-hmm. of those conversations is not just the conversations, because you're right, maybe the starting points are not always knowable. The aim of that work, um, and especially with co-creation and the employee research that happens before that, is empathy. Right? We talk about that mm-hmm. all the time with design thinking. So it, once you get your building toward that empathy, then, then we have something to work with. But you're absolutely right. We hear about this in the press, all these listening sessions, so to speak, that go sideways because they become complaining sessions. And it's, I partly believe that they're not, they're not facilitated in a way that gets them the result that they want. They just, so there's something to be said of, you know, bringing some expertise into the room and, and trying to make sure you're managing the conversation. So you're right. And this is good. I'm so glad that we're having like the three of us talk because what we're doing here is build, we're, we're building on very complex topics, mm-hmm. but being able to point out these aspects of it is really hopefully balancing out uh, the the perspective uh, for those that are hopefully listening as a fly in the wall here. <laughs> right. Do, do you want? <laughs> I can. Do, do you want to go the, down the rabbit hole of organizational empathy, or is that too big a? Oh gosh. Is that too big a? You can go all afternoon now. <laughs> well, I, I, I will give my one. Uh, one thought about yeah, put it, I would love and, to hear and, that. and in market research um, I have often had clients um, treat empathy as something you could be knighted or baptized into like you cross the what? threshold so so let me explain like okay. um, <laughs> you you that um, 
you have empathy but for the consumer by the by virtue of the simple fact that you've gone into their home and been in a space with them and and by crossing that threshold like i now ordain you empathetic leader go forth and innovate um <laughs> and, and so in order to in order to to you know empathy also needs to be like fed and watered uh, much like relationships and so empathy is much like culture a practice and so i think having having a session where a ceo talks to like really talks to their employees um once you're very very likely to have it be a a complaint session if they make it a regular practice and they show you know they yep. they yep. they put aside it's the relationship yeah it's not yeah. a transaction anymore Right, and they put aside some of the the actual trappings of hubris that come with um, only staying in in the the executive suites, and and maybe somebody just spots you walking through the lobby as you're whisked away, whisked away. But that you you practice this listening and practice these interactions and and practice being in the same space um, and seeing how people work. You start to develop that sense and. I think also when you empower people to undertake an initiative, to, um, to look at your culture, to understand it with a critical eye and make um, informed decisions about how to steer it in one direction or another, it has much more credibility because the folks who are told that they have ownership of that process the folks that are told they have input in that process which should be broad um feel that that's done um genuinely and, and i think like and it's you know a big part of culture is also how how trust is confirmed like conferred and confirmed uh and and um and reinforced through interactions. Um, so that's my meandering, but still bounded uh, empathy uh, diversion. Yeah. I may have a practical example. Sure. If you don't mind, Karen, let me jump in. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny because again, this kind of um, just it pulls me back into my personal experience, but when we we're setting up this hybrid work environment, um, it was interesting in that we were always working in an open space. Again, another buzz trend from God knows seven, eight years ago. Uh, and we, we all know who that, how that turned out. But uh, ironically, even with the whole hybrid working, we, we moved to hot desking, right? So that's the whole, you're not allowed to leave your space, um, you know, your stuff on your space. It's once you leave, you leave. You can uh, book out any area of the office and away you go. But what's interesting about that is we actually have uh, all of our leadership follows the same rules, including the CFO, uh, the CEO, uh, everybody. So we all hot desk. And even today, I, I mean, I was sitting right beside the, the CEO as she worked. So there's a lot of transparency and just kind of having a side by side uh, with those types of leaders. Another point actually to make, even 
within our own environment. Um, and again, I know we're talking about these, these environments aren't the things that lead culture, but I'm really wow. happy that we were thinking about this ahead, right? But even the room that I'm in actually isn't a full author, a full room. We actually have the, the glass only goes up halfway because we are trying to keep a transparent environment that there's no, there's no place that you can be in the office where you can't hear everybody else. So all conversations are had on the floor, um, which I think is kind of interesting. So even in, you know, um, a meeting that might be more important to some folks, there is that level of understanding that even then and there, um, there's transparency to be had. So I thought that was worth sharing because I think that really plays off of Evan's point where it really, to me, sounds like a lot of that has to be really practiced. Mm-hmm. And people have to see these leaders actually take part in it um, and not just encourage it. So. Well, I think it's important you bring in the physical space as well. I mean, that is a part of the experience. They are part of cultural artifacts, to use the uh, terminology Evan used earlier. I mean, they all work in concert with one another. That physical space is communicating cultural messages, Mm -hmm. right? That's what you just explained to us and and a great example. And I'm going to put a plug in for the video that your company made (laughs) um, because I think it's really important. We keep talking about hybrid work and everyone's focused on the remote piece, but the physical environment is also just as important. We know we are influenced. Um, our senses are influenced by our physical environments. And so I think it is important to bring that point. Thank you, Charday. And then with, with what Evan was saying earlier, I mean, this is not, we're not getting into too much of a leadership podcast. But that's not my intent. But when we talk about empathy, I think, I think, and I wish there was more done to connect that with EQ um, around leadership. You know, leaders need followers. They kind of sometimes forget that. <laughs> and, and that's something that's um, that's granted to them by others. And, and um, influence, influence has so much to do with relationships. So when I do some of the executive coaching, they're like, oh, and I say, you know, what do you want to work on? And it's like, I want to increase my influence. Well, take a look at the relationships around them and then they can understand uh, what mechanisms are influencing. So like you tie this all in and you say, okay, these are happening on a scale that, that, that actually becomes culture. These are all the patterns, right. That happen in everyday interactions that express the culture. So I just thought I'd kind of connect all the dots there. Cause I mean, every time both of you talk, I'm kind of like, my synapses are firing away. Yeah, so. I mean, it, it, influence <laughs> itself is culturally determined, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, you're they're right. determined. They're, so they're so determined social. by. They're determined by the the nature of the hierarchies and political relationships that are in an organization. They are um, they are determined by um, what what are the symbols and that are valued. Um, mm-hmm. they are, they are, a, you know, is a certain personality characteristic prize, the people who have those personality characteristics, you know, is, is it, is it output, it, you know, so with, um, you know, in a sales organization, the sales numbers might, might be the thing in, uh, a consulting organization, like for better or worse, like being charismatic can be really helpful because you need to convey ideas and you need to, you need, you need to be persuasive. Um, in, in other organizations, it can like simply be like recognition from above. If it's really, really hierarchical as opposed to recognition laterally, um, you know, there's a, there, 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 
Yeah. Evan, as a woman of color, I am keenly aware of that. Yes. I, um, keenly uh, aware and, of that. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's uh, what's really interesting that you, it's important that you bring that up because what is going on with a lot of the, the DEI initiatives is that those are hopefully changing the way that um, like influence is um, plays out in organizations and, and the kinds of the way relationships are formed and, and what the markings of something that is worth following um, are, are manifest. So, well, yeah, I think two things have happened and I, and I, I start out EO in affirmative action 20 years ago mm-hmm. um, is that the field as speaking as a practitioner, the field has matured. There's a lot more um, complexity and knowledge that has been built over these years, which is great. And second, I think the other thing that's going on in organizations is that the realization we saw this with George Floyd, the realization is that, you know, we are we are a part of society. So these companies can't shut out, you know, indefinitely what's going on on the outside, because what's going on in the outside is going on in the inside, too. Right. And so I think these yeah. these things are working in um, they're 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 working in confluence with one another. I don't know if it's late in the day, so I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, but they're all coming together and they're forming these systems. And the important piece is, are we paying attention? Now, are we are we intentional about it? Are we building the right connections and the me- meaningful relationships so that we can kind of drive forward progress? And I think I, probably in the present company, we would all agree it's a very imperfect pro- process right now, right? We're in a place that's very imperfect. And I think I don't mean to overly simplify it, but there's some basics that are not being done. And, and that is the empathy piece, the paying attention piece, the collaborating and meaningful connection. 